Nora! Oh, um, did, did you lose your hay somewhere? It's <laughs> just so annoyed <laughs> at a bunch of things that happened on the internet this week. And so that is how you get addressed this evening. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's nice. <laughs> oh, I didn't think you'd describe it as nice, but I'm here for it. You know, I, I I get people yelling at me all the time, and so that's fine. It's uh, <laughs> it's almost comforting to to know that you also address me like that. That's oh no, <laughs> it's all good, totally all good. Okay, well, just to just get it out of the way, the thing that I am most groany over is I talked briefly on Twitter about how long it was taking the federal government to respond to the state of emergency in Iqaluit, which we referenced on last week's show, the fuel contamination in the water. And I got a lot of people responding to say, that is not their job, Sandy. That is not the job of the federal government. How dare you? How dare you say that the federal government should be responding to this? That is not their job. That is the job of the provincial. I'm sure they meant territorial, okay? That is the job Mm -hmm. of the provincial government. And the federal government has no role here. Go look up federalism. Whatever. Mm. And from that, I take two short lessons that I just want to bring up at the top of the show. Okay? One, I don't know if you've seen, but now the federal government has stepped in to um, to send the military up to provide support, which I think we predicted that last week, didn't we? Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's so weird because it's like, aside from them all being 80% water, I don't see exactly, <laughs> like, again, the go-to is the military. This seems weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. So the federal government steps in, um, which... For all of those trying to take lessons from these things, the whole federal-provincial jurisdictional divide is just a handy colonial tool to justify doing nothing. Don't buy into it. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Don't you ever buy into it. They can always do something if they want. The second lesson is... Um, takes me a little bit back to the Greens, but I'm not going to talk too much about the Greens, but just (laughs) people who are partisan, people who are partisan, people who are partisan, listen to me, listen to the words coming out of my mouth, listen to me, take notice of these words. There is space between hating a party and being a party sycophant. (laughs) You can you can be something in between. You can decide to be a person who struggles to make your party better. You can do that. That is an option. It is available to you. It may not have been laid out for you that way by the party or by, you know, the the internet, but you can be that. You can say huh, my party hasn't responded to, to a terrible state of emergency in which people's um, access to the thing they need to survive is completely tainted by fuel. 
I will make my rule trying to make sure that my party does say something about that or does do something about that. That is an option for you. <laughs> you, you don't have to be the guy who hates your party and you don't have to be the guy who defends your party at all costs, no matter what the fuck they're doing. You can be the guy who makes your party better. Mm. Back in 2011, Sandy, you will remember that we engaged in our first ever massive troll tracking that was tied directly to the Ontario Liberal Party. And because it was 2011 on Twitter, uh, things were not as sophisticated. And so it was pretty easy to identify that liberal sycophants and like over the top supporters were actually all bots. Were you dealing with like real people or is it impossible to tell? It's it's very it's getting harder to tell. I think it's getting a lot harder to tell. But I think that most of the people for this Mm. particular issue um, were real people. Well, that means they can uh, check out uh, this episode. So make sure you send it to all of your liberal sycophantic friends. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) But we have some folks to thank and uh, we should do that. And then we will get into the topic at hand. But just before that, Sandy, I heard from a super fan of the show who I'm not going to name, but I could name them, but I'm not going to. I, I said that I'd let them stay anonymous. And they were telling me a really great story that I thought was really important to share. Let's hear it. They live in an area where some neighbors moved in and the neighbors were being really loud and they were partying all night. And this person was saying to me that in the past, their first reaction would be to call the police and say, you got to deal with this. I'm at the end of my rope. They're not letting us sleep. You got to come over here and tell them to, to, to shut up. And after listening to the show and thinking a lot more about the role of police in society, they decided not to do that. And instead, they baked some tea biscuits and got a bottle of wine and brought it over to the house and said, welcome to the neighborhood. Here's my phone number. If you need anything that's related to like my yard over there or whatever, I'd love your phone number. And oh, by the way, I I am hearing things like at two in the morning, um, but it'd be, you know, It'd be cool if you could keep it down. But anyway, here's some tea biscuits. And the result from that has been um, things have been quieter. And the, 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 the time after that, I think it was probably the only time since, there's been noise at night. They were able to call and say, hey, can you keep it down? And they kept it down. Look at that. It turns out we don't need a death squad to mediate all of our conflicts. That we can have mm. conflicts in real life. Uh, and they don't have to be antagonistic conflicts. They can. We have the power to resolve things ourselves. That's a beautiful story. Thank mm-hmm. you to that listener. And I'm so glad that you had that experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When when they sent that to me, I was like, "This is, this is great." And it takes courage, right? Like, I I have a completely conflictual ex- uh, relationship with my neighbors, and I am still forced to interact with them on a regular basis. And every I find every time I'm in a room with them or in a meeting with them, even though I absolutely cannot stand them, and like you know, they they've treated us really poorly. Like my kids were literally f- like afraid of them for years, like nightmare level afraid of them for years, and. I still sit down. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's still people. There's still individuals. And I can see why they're so miserable. And at the end of the day, I'm not. 
And so I don't really need to dwell on how miserable these people are. And um, and it's, yeah, it's good to remind ourselves that taking that step and talking to people, even if we're in a, in a, in a very intense situation of conflict, it's, uh, it's good. It's, it can be very beneficial and important. Well, thank you to that listener for sharing that story. Yes. And we have some other listeners to thank. So thank you so much to folks who donated for the first time or changed their donation this week. Uh, in particular, I'd like to say big, big thanks to Glenn, Sharoni, Aisling, Canadian Troll Farm, <laughs> <laughs> Alexandra, Miriam, Ali, Cassandra, Olivia, and Leah. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much. Um, I also just have, I got a question about last week's show, which was basically, hey, if we get rid of the military, what are we going to do when the U.S. invades Canada? <laughs> that changes like, what? If we don't defend our borders, <laughs> the U.S. is just going to take us. And I mean, my response to that is kind of like they already have like the way the the way that the world works is such that such that uh, effectively Canada exists for America. I don't know if um, everybody's up on that, but that's that's what's happened um, since uh, Cold War politics. Like I that's where we are. And so, I mean, will the U.S. like invade us if we don't have a military? No, they, I, I don't think so, because what would be the purpose? We already do all of their bidding. <laughs> and like uh, if we if we don't defend our borders, they'll take I mean, we don't we don't defend our borders. We defend their borders. <laughs> like <laughs> that's that's how this whole thing works. I I mean, is there any other country where you like go to the airport and you go through the customs of another country before you get on the plane and arrive in that country? <laughs> Just <laughs> mm. That Statue of Liberty at Pearson Airport is something else. I love seeing that Statue of Liberty saying, Welcome to the United States and you're like well, at least, you know what? I find their border agents are actually nicer than Canadian border agents, I have to be honest. It's true. <laughs> They're, like, more real, which might be just because the U.S. recruits more people out of poverty into state security apparatus positions. But but uh, in, any case. Uh, in any case. But you're exactly. It's like, sorry, what would the military do tomorrow if the United States invaded Canada? That's the question I have to that question. Like, what the fuck would they do? They're going to shoot American soldiers? Like, are you kidding me? The, 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 yeah, because it's, it's really not the Canadian military that's stopping the U.S. from invading us, y'all. I, I mean, if you thought that, sorry to <laughs> burst your bubble, but our military is not that. It cannot take on the United States military. It just simply cannot. Those days are long gone Were they the ever? 1800s. Were they ever? Let's <laughs> be honest. Didn't we like burn down the White House once? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it was like a story of history, class, lore or whatever. Like, uh, no, no, not effectively. No. Right. It's and and let's let's not forget, you know, folks, if you don't know this, uh, there's a, a, a law treaty between Canada and the United States that says that law enforcement from either side of each country can enter over the border by some number of miles um, if they're pursuing someone for a legal process. And um, guess what? (laughs) How easy it would be for them to just be like, oh, no, no, we're not invading you. We're fucking legally (laughs) hanging out on this side of the border, checking you all out. (laughs) And thank you for that question. I hope that answers it Uh, well. 
Okay, yeah, there's thanks. other things we got to talk about. Yeah, Sandy, have you noticed this past week that there has been a very bizarre rise in turf fascism in Canada's mainstream media? <laughs> first of all, first of all, why does Rosie, what's her face, still have a job? Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> and you know, here's a, here's a why, fun little thing why, about her. Why? Why? Do you, do you know that that it is not like uh, the editors, like the people who edit the columns at the Toronto Star, are not allowed to edit her columns? One, how do you know that? And two, why say more? I know it. I know it on very solid authority, uh, and it's not like in house because the Toronto Star uses uh, a service for their editing. And uh, so, I, yeah, I can say that that's the case. That's why her columns are often like so like, what the hell? And it's not just her. There's a lot of columnists um, who have that same treatment. The, the second question, why? I mean, so that you can get this kind of complete bullshit. So you can have a completely ridiculous take from your flagship lady columnist who's tough on crime and tough on – oh, not tough on – like hard into transphobia, I guess. And so, why? yeah, why is she still there? Well – I mean, I guess she's like the only columnist anyone's talking about these days at the Toronto Star. So she's a sideshow. <laughs> God. Yeah, I, I definitely noticed it. Um, uh, Margaret Atwood obviously sharing that Rosie DeMano piece uh, was a bit of a, uh, a surprise to a bunch of people, I suppose. Um, I guess they haven't really been following Margaret Atwood <laughs> over the years to know um, the type of, uh, you know, what wave of feminism she really uh, <laughs> glomps onto. Um, and and just also, uh, just generally, because there has been a lot of organizing from trans folks about some really awful things that have been said and awful things that have been done uh, by Netflix in particular. And so there's a lot of discussion happening. Uh, I guess there's all of this kind of turf stuff coming out right now. And it's really gross. It's really, ugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, let's maybe back up and, and, lay some terms out just to make sure people are aware of what we're saying and where we are on this issue. Um, and so there is a very frightening and has been for many years a frightening rise in gender essentialism uh, discourse, I guess, in the, in the United Kingdom. And so what I mean by that is um, people, especially like, well, I mean, it's across the political spectrum, but what is most concerning to me and I think what should be concerning to people on the left is there's there's people saying they're feminists who believe that the way that you define what is and what is not a woman is biologically. Of course, if you're listening to Sandy and Nora, I'm assuming you know why that's bullshit, but... It is bullshit if you don't know why, just say because Sandy Norris said it is. Um, but, you know, essentially, like the idea that uh, your biology is going to determine your, like, your your oppression, your social location within society is pretty much fucking ridiculous because there's a lot of social determinants of oppression that 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 are not biologically essential. Um, but this tendency has existed for a long time in the UK, and it has not really taken root in Canada on the left. It was what launched Jordan Peterson into superstardom. And, and we have mentioned this on the show, but it has been a while since we've talked about turf fascism. And when I say turf fascism, it's like turf is, is what they call themselves, trans-exclusionary 
radical feminists. And then, of course, they're fascists because they want to violently uphold the gender binary, which is one of the ways in which uh, hetero patriarchy, capitalism, white supremacy is maintained within our society. And so when I say to fascist, that's what I mean. Um, but so, yeah, in the last two, uh, week and a half, there has been this flurry of attention um, trying to, I don't know, make palatable fascist thinking in Canada. Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah, I guess so. And I guess like the uh, there was this other article that was posted in uh, I believe it was the National Post. Oh, CBC Opinions? Are you are you confusing uh the public broadcaster with one of the most right-wing uh companies in this country? Oh my god, yeah, it was in CBC Opinions. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wow. Okay, everybody. The fact that I confuse CBC Opinions with the National Post, something's wrong with CBC Opinions, y'all, because the National Post, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, their stuff is like activist and proud, okay? CBC Opinions is supposed to at least pretend Mm -hmm. to be neutral. Okay. Well, not neutral. You know how we feel about that, but... Fuck, yes, the one that was written in the CBC, which was written by... um, uh jessica triff mm-hmm. well-known activist trans rights crusader jessica triff yeah <laughs> super well-known activist jessica triff um who is opining that trans activism essentially has gone too far is going too far is not doing things correctly there's a there's a better easier, simpler, more respectable way to be a trans activist, which is just, it feels recycled (laughs) from earlier public discourse. It's like always the thing that people say to activists, I suppose, when they don't like their activism, but don't really know, don't want to oppose the issue Mm -hmm. so instead they oppose the way the issue is being talked about so sorry it's not it's not that you're trans it's about the way that you're demanding the right to live with dignity as a trans person if you could kindly do that in a more respectable way that would be wonderful it's not the fact that you're black it's not the fact that you are being killed by the police it's like that it's not an issue it's just the fact of the way that you're talking about it. It's just really so gauche. If you could kindly just walk that back. It's this recycling of this idea that there is a way to respond to these indignities that we faced. And the way to do it is the way that makes the people who are in the majority feel safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned this this piece from CBC Opinions because I think it's a really good um, litmus test of where things are in the national media. I was tagged on Twitter um, like by someone who'd put together a really great timeline of like these Flashpoint articles. There's an article in CTV, for example, like kind of stringing along this whole narrative. So, so you know, multi-platform, many uh, broadcasting companies chasing this issue. Um, this the absolutely cynical side of me is like, well, yes, this is how they operate. They are lazy. They are uncreative. They see something is getting clicks from a, another broadcaster uh, or maybe something is exploding um, in the United States. And so we're going to chase it our way. But the, the CBC opinions piece is very interesting because it 
Like, first of all, when, you know, making fun of the fact that we don't know who this person is, um, is, <laughs> is a shorthand way. I'm going to do the longhand explanation of why this matters of saying, listen, if, if you are not doing activism, then your opinion on activism does not fucking matter. The end. <laughs> Like, it's not more complicated than that. Either you have people who are doing activism differently and they're arguing over the best way to do activism. That's a, that's a great kind of conversation to have. Those are great debates to have. That's You'll have people debating politics and economics and social policy, all thinking about different ways of doing it. But this individual doesn't seem to be uh, an activist. She repeats a lot of tropes. Like, the article that she wrote seems to have been, like, pulled from the fucking who's who of like ter fascist tropes and is just like in the end I as a trans woman uh, am not comfortable with trans activism and why the fuck the CBC opinions thought that that was an insightful thing to add to the discourse I'm very curious I'm very confused and aside from it just being disorienting and, uh, uh, frankly, offensive, it tries to justify the, the or, or legitimize these narratives coming out of places like the UK and certain pockets of Canada uh, and the United States that, that says, wait, no, maybe there is something to this. Maybe we need to protect the gender binary and all this kind of transphobic bullshit. And... Um, yeah, I, I think like this is the big question. I know a lot of people made the big question, who is this author? This is not someone anyone who's in the activist world seems to know. Um, but that's not actually the big question. The qu big question is why now and why this piece from CBC Opinions? And um, I don't know, Sandy, why do you, why do you think they, they thought now is the right time to put this into the discourse? Well, um, there, there's a couple of things that... I think it are, is going on. One of the things is that when a, um, a cause that activists have rallied around and are making headway on um, in a particular way uh, uh, starts to get some notoriety or starts to get paid attention to, there's this kind of knee-jerk reaction from some elements of media that they must find a member of the community for whom the activists are advocating that opposes them and platforms platform them. So this happened during Pride. Um, someone reminded me um, on Twitter recently that during Pride in 2016, the CBC Opinions also found um, a black queer man <laughs> to write an article that says, Black Lives Matter does not speak for me. Uh, uh, in order to make the same, to make the same claim, which is that the way that these people are raising this issue is the wrong way of speaking about it. Blah 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 blah. Um, and then the other thing, and I'm not sure if you're uh, trying to reference this, but is is because contextually right now, um, given what the response has been to the Dave Chappelle special on Netflix, the fact that Netflix then fired members, trans members of their staff who spoke out against that Dave Chappelle special uh, and then organized uh, to get Netflix to respond in some way. And that having traction, um, I guess, means that this is the time for the TERFs to take their stand. It's all pretty disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, it is disgusting. And it's like... And, like, if it is just crass trying to do clickbait, CBC Toronto Star, 
that's disgusting in one way. But if they're trying to juice a movement that is not really nascent in Canada, certainly not the way it is in the United Kingdom, then we have to ask ourselves, why? Like, why are you entering into this arena trying to turn this discussion into something that it is currently not really at all in Canada? Uh, when I was writing Take Back the Fight, I, it was very interesting to read analyses about why turf fascism has been so strong in the UK. And there was one analysis, which was that in the UK, they didn't have the same campaigns of uh, racialized and indigenous feminists rising up and then talking about feminism in different ways that like did happen in, the, in in North America. And it kind of created this vacuum where like it was just kind of like feminists still were just this like this white space where turfism was able to kind of just blow itself into um, into this like now kind of mainstream way of thinking, which I thought was really interesting. And I, did, I haven't seen any other really good analyses of this. So, I mean, like if anyone wants to send me anything, that would be really, really cool. You'd be very welcome to do that. This whole connection between questioning the gender binary, challenging the gender binary, and then uphold, violently upholding the gender binary, this kind of struggle that's emerging, uh, there's, it's not a coincidence that this became what has elevated the right wing and and that this is a really right wing way of operating and understanding the world like no we need to protect men are men and women are women and this is going to be how it is you know for for the for the end of time while this is this incredible uh movement of, of people especially young people who are fully rejecting the gender binary and being like no fuck you actually this is completely bullshit and so then for cbc to find someone who's who who writes as a trans person like myself, I mean, this has already been stated like several times in the article by the time uh, she writes this, uh, who doesn't agree with this type of activism and who doesn't jump to the defamatory labeling of anyone who disagrees it, with it as a bigot or turf is usually called a bootlicker. It's like, no, actually, you're probably not called a bootlicker. <laughs> you probably also are a bootlicker in other uh, other instances, but like, okay, come on. Um, and then she goes on. That's because, of course, women or feminists who campaign for women's rights are fascists from the point of view of these trans activists. Um, and then she goes on. I've definitely felt excluded. I've been regularly appalled by the attacks on well-known celebrities. And then she mentions Martina Navratilova. I don't know if you know this well-known celebrity, Sandy. <laughs> like, I don't know. Not, not well-known over here. No, 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 me neither. That, I, I, an editor, I think, should have been like, uh, no, that's a, that's a tennis player that most people have probably never heard of. Okay. Um, like, making this into, like, how dare you call us fascist? It's like, it actually is fascism. It actually is fascism to violently police and enforce people's gender. Like that is that is a fucking tenet of fascism. There's no other way to cut it. And so like whose PR is CBC doing here? Like she's not responding to someone being like, actually, TERFs are fascists. So so like I'm very I think that the signals um, that there is uh, a latent, latent, active transphobia within media that um, that I don't know, maybe they're trying to hide when they're also uh, the CBC has just put out this new groundbreaking show called Sort Of featuring a non-binary a protagonist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, that the people who produce uh, CBC opinions, I would be surprised um, if there was like a really good uh, discussion about putting what putting something like that out does um, and what it validates for for certain people, for people who are 
um, violent and who do have an interest in violently uh, protecting uh, the, you know, really discreet ideas of two binary genders um, that are equal to sex. Uh, something like this, a an article like this is such a boon. It's such a boon. Like what it does for those folks. And the other thing that you really got me thinking about um, when you posted, you posted on Twitter about this was, um, I mean, there's two other things um, that this really got me thinking about. Um, one is just something that I've been talking about for a couple of weeks now because I just can't get it out of my head, which is that the way the way that Twitter has really shifted the kinds of conversations we're able to have. Um, I think that um, the news, in addition uh, to just generally being a transmisogynist space, is also a, a space where they are looking for um, the type of conflict, the kind of dangerous conflicts um, that give them a lot of clicks now. And so uh, when there is something uh, of people who are, you know, literally fighting for the right to live, uh, and there's this kind of cultural, uh, culturally accepted, like, two poles. So these people are fighting for the right to live, and these people are fighting for, uh, I don't know, the right to be fascist. Let's give them both airtime. Or, like, these people are fighting for the world not ending in apocalypse, and these people are fighting to, to believe the weather is normal. Let's give them both airtime. Like, you know, like this kind of weird impacts that Twitter has had on um, the types of discussions that we have, the types of discourse that we have, and the fact that Twitter is itself a private company that um, doesn't give a shit about the quality of conversations that we have, but does is able to uh, profit off of not of, of us not having necessarily deep and um, and complicated conversations. That's one. The other thing is when you posted about it on on Twitter, you talked about like the 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 fact that the article basing itself in a critique of the activism is, as I've stated, is like. Um, it's like not the real argument. The real argument is that I don't agree with you people. Like it's it's not it's not the way that you are arguing about it. It's I don't agree with you, you people. But if it was, if it was that they didn't agree with the way that we were talking about it, you know, um, there as you said, there is a way to have that conversation, and there are people to have that conversation with. And my God. Like people, you all have to understand that activism is a skill. It is something that we train ourselves to do because, yeah, there's no activist school, but it is a skill just like any other discipline is a skill. It's not something that anyone can just get up and, and do. I mean, I suppose you could, but you would be just as bad as it as someone who like, um, like my, if I were today to tell you that I was a mathematician, you know, like I could attempt to do some trigonometry for you, but I don't really remember it that much. Um, and it wouldn't be great. Uh, it is, it's a skill, um, and it's a trained skill and we should give it, especially on the left, we should give it the respect, 
that it deserves uh, because like, fuck, you know, activists are literally trying to change the world against the odds of entire systems created to replicate themselves. How could it not be a skill? <laughs> How could it not be a skill? It's literally one of the hardest things ever because you have to be so good at so much. You need to be a researcher. You need to be an archivist. You need to be a documenter. You need to be a communication specialist. You need to understand exactly how politics works. You need to be your own fucking consultants. You need to be teachers because you need to teach other people how to do this shit. You need to be a public speaker. You need to understand how to speak to people generally like and convince them of something. You need to be politicians. You need to be uh, creatives. You need to be performers. You need to be all of these things wrapped up into one person, <laughs> one person or a few people. And most of the time, you're not going to get any compensation for that. It's like, what's, what is the reward <laughs> for doing all of these things on your spare time? Warm fuzzies, like knowing that you're doing the right thing. You know how fucking hard that is? It's fucking hard. And like, to be clear, it, it isn't as if that means therefore it's exclusive, right? That's the other thing about activism is it's not exclusive. It's that these skills are what you learn when you're involved in them. But for CBC or for any media outlet to characterize a, a, a kind of social activism as being bad, you need to choose someone who the fuck knows what is going on. And then that, and then that actually says that something is good, right? This is also missing, auspicious, auspiciously missing from this article is, oh, then what is the what is the alternative? How should trans people fight for their human rights, right? No, that's that's absent from this article. But but both the Demano piece and the CBC opinions piece does something very, very uh, sneaky that I think that we need to pay very close attention to. And and they both take an extreme position on reality. So DeMano's like hook is that you can't say women anymore. And the CBC opinions piece is that all trans activism is loud, toxic and bad. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And so on the DeMano side, like you can't say women anymore. So she's pissed that like health providers are finally like not just saying pregnant women because it's just not accurate. Right. There's mm -hmm. pregnant people. There are people who are pregnant who are not women. Um, and but she torques it to make it this like really outlandish argument that, you know, someone who might have never thought about this and never had never entered their realm of consciousness before will look at that and be like, oh, I can't say women anymore. I can't say women who have periods anymore. Oh, my God. Right. And then, and then all of a sudden, like then to fight against that, we're not having a debate about like trans phobia in healthcare. <laughs> we're having a debate about, mm -hmm. oh, no, Sally, this is what it means. And this is why. And like that education is fine, but that's not activism. That's just like, you know, broad scale kind of like sensibilization uh, level work, right? Which is necessary, but it's not activism. It's not changing policy or, or procedure or, or ways of doing things. It's changing people's understanding of, of certain terms. And so right off the bat, DeMano creates this fucking um, impossible debate because you are then auto automatically having a debate that no one fucking asked for that that doesn't even really exist because I don't know how if people have noticed, but like in, in media, the shift to not say pregnant women has been very fast. If you look now at articles about pregnancy in the mainstream media, in Canada at least, it's pretty normal to see people instead of women, which it should be, <laughs> like mm -hmm. whatever. 
So there's not there's not actually a controversy there. She's inventing controversy and she's inventing a debate that is a fucking ridiculous debate that that no one is having, that no one is actually having. And the reason she does this is because then the people who are engaged in this debate are are boxed into this ridiculous discussion and and not able to then say, oh, but here's how transphobia um, act, uh, operates within this hospital network or operates within this this realm of of Canadian society or whatever. So that's that's it. That's a that's a tool of the right wing to make sure that you know that people are distracted. The CBC opinions piece makes the same kind of fake discussion that that all trans activism is toxic and then talks exclusively about Twitter. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, she she names a couple of court cases that if you do any reading at all on the court cases she talks about, that you can tell that it's actually totally bullshit. And, and, and again, formulates this image of trans activism in this country as something that the average CDC opinions person should be critical of or should be weary of or should actually oppose. And it's like, I, I don't know, do you, do you folks just not think that we can see what you're doing? Like, it's so fucking obvious what you're doing. And sure, you will never have a person on to talk about activism or social movements who can actually explain this shit. Like, fuck, I have done zero interviews on social activism in my life with media. That is zero. I've, that I've is never incredible. been asked. And not that you have to interview me or anything, but I have written two fucking books on it. <laughs> Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And and just to say, you know, as I as we said, you know, activism is a skill. There are uh, very few people in the country that is Canada who are actively engaged on teaching activist skills to other generations of people. And Nora is one of those people. (laughs) It's like is one of the most obvious people to point to as someone who activists go to to get trained on multiple things. And so that you have not been asked about your activism is, is actually kind of fascinating. It is fascinating. And it's like, and like Sandy, how many times have you done interviews specifically about activism if it wasn't like related to an action that you've done? I think maybe once or twice. I think uh, I can't I can't remember uh, entirely, but I think maybe once or twice in the entirety. And I mean, I've been doing I mean, I've been um, an activist that would have something to say about activism. (laughs) You know, like I've been an activist a long time, Um, someone who would be able to comment on like um, the form or like what we're doing, you know, for over 10 years, over a decade now. So, yeah, in that time, once or twice. Yeah, like this is ridiculous. And so when you have absolutely no one in the mainstream media who's present to be able to say, oh, like this is how a movement operates. Like this is how people gather. This is what meetings look like. This is how priorities are set. Oh, what you're talking about here are like internet things that are actually not rooted into real life activism. And here's what real life activism looks like or whatever. When you've got a complete fucking absence of that analysis then it makes the Demanos and the Triffs of the world. I'm not even sure that's her name. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't want to bring too much heat to this person because I don't think it's like I think she was set up or I mean, other people are saying she's real. I still would like to see the fucking actual proof of that. Yeah, <laughs> but, anyway. but it, she she doesn't matter. Like that's not the, she could have been exactly. anyone. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like she does not matter to, to the point that you're trying to make. Right, exactly. And And so like when you promote people like this or articles like this that are saying these things. Uh, there's no there's no counterbalance except then then this is what's very fucking bad is then other columnists become the counter voice and it's other columnists who also know fuck all about fucking social media organizing and I'm thinking of one in particular although I don't know if there's been other people commenting on this but 
it's like, what are you doing? Like, you're just, you're, you're, you're inventing reality. You're selling your invented reality to us. And then it's like, how are we supposed to operate in this completely fake fucking world? It just, it's very disconcerting is like the least powerful word I could come with up with how I'm feeling about all of this. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that, you know, is hopeful about all of it is that, I mean, (laughs) especially for like CBC opinions, I mean, I, I don't know if you're relevant at all. (laughs) anymore cbc ever they've never been never been which is which is sad because you should be like we should be having really deep like there's so many things to have deep conversations and opinions about right now uh and inventing something to be upset at it's not one of them same thing with a toronto star columnist it's like gosh i mean as you said at the near the top of the show the like youth culture today like really rejecting gender is amazing that's the future that's the future and i mean we could say that that is something that's just existing on the left but i don't know that that's true i think i mean i take a look at youth culture and i don't think that that is a just a left wing thing i do think that of course there are um, elements of like young right wing culture that are dangerous and are not, of course, seeing things that the majority of youth are seeing. But I do think that in a lot of ways, um, folks who have been doing activism on gender for years have done a lot of winning, have done so much winning, so much win- winning that you can see it. You can see a world um, that is coming about, that is rising, in which gender. Like it does not is like the 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 default is not a binary. You can see it like I can see that future. Um, And that's a beautiful thing. And it's like CBC opinions like don't endeavor to be the National Post. (laughs) Just like get get with it and like talk to those folks. Talk to those people. You know, tell us a little bit more about like what the world that um, these folks who are struggling against the way things have always been. Tell us what they're thinking. Tell us what they're going to be, uh, what the world is going to look like from their eyes or disappear into irrelevance. And we'll find out because they're going to show us anyway. I just want to add one more thing. Um, And this seems like, you know, we're talking about media and why would media be pushing these narratives and what do they like stand to gain from these narratives? But there hasn't really been much political movement uh, on trans issues recently. You know, there was the big uh, fight around Bill C-16, which is what launched uh, Jordan Peterson's career. Um, But by and large, there hasn't been too many, like, legislative attacks except – oh, this past week also in Quebec (laughs) – uh, so the Quebec uh, government has just put forward a bill that would make it um, impossible to change your sex on your official government ID, your birth certificate, unless you've had like surgery. And it's very prescriptive. And, uh, you know, because it's changing Quebec's civil code, it all has to be very prescriptive because that's it's going to be replacing some level of prescription from the past. And as you might imagine, people are freaked out, outraged, like surprised, um, uh, trying to wonder what the fuck they're doing. Um, Because, you know, this is a government that has been attacking minority groups nonstop. 
And it's like, oh, so now it's like trans people's turn, I guess, um, especially as they're staring down an election in the next year. And so this is a this is a motion that will then go to public committee hearings uh, where it very well might be killed or I don't want to amend it or whatever. But folks really should be paying attention to that and listening to trans activists in Quebec for calls for support or whatever as they start navigating this really surprising um, like kind of out of nowhere uh, piece of legislation, but only out of nowhere if you're not really paying too much attention to how popular, unfortunately, some of these policies can be and how you can rally a certain set of the of the right and the far right behind you um, by trying to violently uphold the gender binary.